The views and opinions expressed on Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or NC State student media. You are currently tuned into Eye on the Triangle here on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1 Raleigh. Hello, this is Brian Jurado, the Public Affairs Director here at WKNC and host of Eye on the Triangle. For today's episode of Eye on the Triangle, we've got three interviews for y'all. Starting off with an interview with Kennedy Phipps discussing a documentary screening of You Belong Here, a LGBTQ plus documentary filmed in Pitt County that will be presented at the Witherspoon Building. Following that, Eye on the Triangle reporter Maha has an interview with Sunga speaking of smoking alternatives. And to conclude, Maha and Shange speak with touring comedian Eugene Merman. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone. This is Brian Jurado, the public affairs director here at WKNC. And today I'm joined with Kennedy Phipps, a student here at NC State University studying social works. Kennedy, if you want to introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Kennedy Phipps. Uh, Kennedy is partnered with the GLBT Center on Campus and Campus Health to host a screening of You Belong Here, a documentary focusing on LGBTQ allyship experience in the rural South and just the LGBTQ youth experience in the rural South as well. Uh, the filming was done locally here in Pitt County. Uh, what overall brought you to bringing the screening to the NC State's campus? You know, I, I've had a very unique experience with my personal coming out, and I definitely noticed a need on NC State's campus for more involvement with the LGBTQ community and kind of combining the LGBTQ community with everyone else on campus to kind of just educate and create more awareness for coming out, but also just the treatment of um, LGBTQ identifying individuals because everybody's experience is so different, so unique. Um, some have relatively good experiences, some have great, and some have really difficult uh, stories to share. So a lot of this just came from a personal passion to share these stories and to hopefully have a place where people can connect and relate to something that somebody in the documentary may have gone through. And kind of like I said, the documentary was filmed here locally in Pitt County. Uh, how did you come across it? I mean, it ha it's been very new. It's been fairly recent that it kind of came out. So how did you find it? So um, I'm from Greenville, North Carolina, which is in Pitt County. And I knew someone that was in the documentary. Um, we went to the same high school and we had a connection through our families and that kind of is what sparked it. His name is Zachary Pomeroy. He is an amazing human being. And he kind of saw this vision of creating this documentary and um, worked with ECU Help. And they applied for some grants and they got it started. Um, so I knew that the process was happening. And then finally it came out uh, and they started doing showings at ECU in Greenville. And then I really wanted to do a showing here in Raleigh. Greenville definitely took to it more because it was it was filmed there locally um, in a lot of the rural areas surrounding like Grifton and Aiden, um, Bethel, things like that. But I really I wanted to bring it to Raleigh because I know Raleigh is a little bit 
of a different area than Greenville. It's bigger, um, much more of a city vibe, but I know that there's so many college students and people that move to the Triangle in general from rural areas and have very similar experiences. So I definitely wanted to bring that here. And given that you're friends with like the filmmakers, do you have any insights on like the process that it took for him to create this? Or? I do have a little bit. Um, Zachary definitely had <laughs> a long process with this because he had to find the people that were going to be in this documentary. Um, I do know that they actually interviewed, I, I want to say 27 people to be in this documentary and not all of them, not all of their stories are highlighted um, because there were just so many. But it started with Zachary and then a few of his friends knew of people and then um, a few of the other people that worked through ECU Help knew some people. Um, so it all kind of just started from word of mouth. Um, and then that turned into doing these one-on-one -on -one interviews with people hearing their stories, and then creating it into this beautiful documentary. I don't think it originally started in their in, in Zachary's mind and the people that um, helped him, like the executive producer's mind, Sue Ann. Um, I don't think it started out as this documentary. Uh, it definitely started out, okay, we're going to hear people's stories and then we're going to go from there. Um, I think the vision definitely kind of progressed as they heard people's stories and, and figured out the needs of the community. I've been able to find a few brief descriptions online just through ECU and as well as just like the showings that have happened in the past at ECU. But what would be your like overall description of what the documentary is? My overall description of the documentary, that's a great question. I would I would say that it is something that not only educates people about what LGBTQ plus identifying people go through, but it also helps people that are a part of that community feel seen and loved and heard in a way that they haven't before. Um, a lot of the words and the statements and the stories that are given in this documentary, it brings to light and almost puts words to what a lot of other people experience daily that they don't know how to express. Raising awareness about the treatment of the LGBTQ community, raising awareness of the mental health struggles that they face, raising awareness about maybe how their communities or their churches or their families have perceived their coming out. Um, it's all there in this documentary, and it's very raw and it's real, um, and it, it just brings to light all of these things that our society strays away from talking about. Prior to this interview, there was a screening October 6th that went very well. Um, was there any like moments in the previous screening that you thought were very moving to you personally? Yes. Um, during the panel, um, I, I was moderating and I had some prepared questions um, and I in the moment, kind of just went off of them a little bit. And I was I was asking things about the process of the documentary and maybe how uh, families and friends perceived the people in the documentary um, and, like, after the fact when it was shown and what the reactions were like. But at the very end, I asked the executive producer, Sue Ann Pilgreen, I asked her this question, and I she's a mother of two bisexual daughters, and... Um, 
I I asked her if you could give one piece of advice to the or if you could give one loving statement to the college students in the room that may be queer or not, what would it be? And it was a very emotional moment for me and for her, but she just said, like, you are you. And that is the most beautiful thing that you can be. And it was a really sweet moment because a lot of students in college and youth in general do not have the support of their families um, when they are coming out or after they come out or even before. Um, And she kind of just put this like blanket of love over over the room and really summed up um, what the documentary was all about was just like sharing that love. Um, And she was able to give her perspective as a parent and just letting them know, even though I'm not your parent, I do love you for who you are. And that was just a beautiful thing to see. Following the film, there is like a panel discussion. Is there any speakers that were there at the last time that are going to be present at this following screening? Yes. So Zachary Pomeroy will be there. He is one of the people who put the documentary together and was there from the very beginning of the process. Um, and he's highlighted in the docu- documentary as well. Um, A.V. Washington will be there. He is in the documentary. Um, and then Sue Ann Pilgreen will be there again. Um, she was an executive producer and also works for ECU Help. So she um, was involved in a lot of the grant writing processes um, and looking at things from a like hospital perspective, um, medical perspective. And then um, let's see, Denise, who is um, a licensed social worker, um, she will be there. So she gives a great mental health perspective. Um, and then I know we will have a few new people, um, Brianna Culler and Donald Pilgreen. They will both be there as well to sit on the panel. And Donald gives a fatherly perspective of what it's like to have bisexual children. Um, Sue Ann and Donald are married. And then um, Brianna also worked very closely with Zachary and Sue Ann on the documentary. And her story was highlighted in the documentary as well. Uh, what I thought was very like moving about the overall screening, once I saw like the advertisement through the Chas email chain, was just how there was a panel discussion following. I feel like a lot of the time when you see these um, documentaries or you see these films, it's a lot of conversations that need to be had, but there isn't like a room for that to happen. So I believe that the panel discussion is really great, and I hope that more events moving forward offer that opportunity to like be able to like actually address these conversations and actually address these issues and not just let it like sit on your mind and just like sit there. And I think that's very important. And I think that's really great that you guys are being able to promote this and have this. Yeah, it it's really cool because everyone sitting on the panel has had some sort of experience um, working with the documentary and or being a part of the LGBTQ community or an ally. Um, and someone else I didn't mention that will be on the panel again is Molly Sue Smith. She's actually an NC State student. Um, she didn't have any involvement in the creation of the documentary, but we brought her in because we really wanted to give that NC State student perspective and what it's like to be out and in college. Um, but the panel is different because these people are all very honest and open about their stories. And um, 
like Zachary identifies as a gay man and he's able to speak on that experience, that's not something you see every day. There aren't always people out there that are comfortable enough to put themselves out on a platform, which can be really scary to present themselves to the world in that way, especially when society is not as accepting um, of them. And in North Carolina, where a lot of people are very religious or conservative and may not hold the same views. Um, So it's a very open and honest conversation that I don't think this campus really has had. No, I I agree with you entirely. I feel like there is not many of these conversations being had. We've seen like a lot of protest on campus. We see a lot of pushback and sometimes it doesn't feel like campus can be a very safe space. And I think it's incredibly important, especially as a student body and as well as faculty to actually address these issues and show that there is support as an ally and there is safe spaces for these students to like be in and feel comfortable in. And I think this documentary is incredibly important to promote that message here on this campus. And I hope that it keeps continuing being picked up on campuses following ours. As we saw it at ECU, I'm hoping like there's more schools. I'm not too sure if you're familiar if there's any more schools that have been picking it up or. Yeah, um, I know there's been a showing at Duke um, and I think they actually want to do another showing. Um, I'm hoping that I can get in contact with the School of Social Work at UNC to see if maybe they would be interested in doing a showing or even just inviting them to this upcoming showing. And I know that there have been a few other schools around North Carolina that the team has been traveling to to host a documentary and then have the panel. That's really great. I'm really happy to hear that. I personally come from a very rural part of North Carolina, and there's a lot of hate being spread in my like my hometown as well as the towns around me. And I think it's incredibly important that students that are traveling to Raleigh can feel safe, even if they come from bigger cities or rural towns, because we are a very wide campus. We're a very wide demographic of students. So um, just to help kind of like spread the word about this next event, do you just want to kind of speak on like the day and how to access tickets? Yeah. So the next showing for the You Belong Here documentary will be on Sunday, October 23rd at 6 p.m. at Witherspoon Campus Cinema. It will be right here on campus, so students are able to show up as well as community members. Parking is free after 5 and on weekends, so that should not be an issue. But we will have uh, playbills for you. We will have snacks and drinks. Um, We just want you to come and feel welcome and to be a part of our community. Um, The School of Social Work actually is partnering with us as well on this event, and um, we will have the social work student ambassadors there. I'm one of the um, co-chairs of that, but we definitely want to highlight this social work perspective and the inclusivity of the School of Social Work. And we um, have like a code of ethics that we abide by and inclusivity is one of them. So we definitely want to highlight that. And we're just so excited to be hosting this again. And we really hope that um, Lots of people from the Raleigh community, from the Triangle and NC State are able to attend. It will definitely be a life-changing experience for them. I'm personally very excited to attend. I've already gotten my tickets, and I really recommend anyone that's in the area to really come out and check out this uh, documentary. I think it's incredibly important to the Triangle. I think it's very important to North Carolina. Uh, I really want to thank Kennedy for joining us today and helping spread the word about this beautiful documentary. Thank you so much for having me, for letting me share. This has been amazing.
Up next, Eye on the Triangle has an interview with Sunga and their smoking alternatives. Hey, what's up? My name is Maha, and you are listening to Eye on the Triangle, airing every Sunday, 6 to 7 p.m. I'm here with Sunga, and we are here to talk about vaping. Yes, vaping. Sometimes referred to as an epidemic, vaping contains traces of formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is found in laundry and dish detergents, soap, body wash, and manufactured wood furniture. It's also a frequent component of glues and adhesives, according to Brookdale Addiction Recovery. There are 41 million vapors worldwide, according to World Health Organization. But luckily, there are safer and natural alternatives. I'm here with Sunga, who is here to introduce us to a very safe and exciting alternative to vaping. Hi, Sunga, please introduce yourself. Yo, what's good to all you beautiful listeners out there? My name is Sunga, go by they, them pronouns, and I'm here with the beautiful Maha to chat to y'all about, you know what I'm saying? Awesome, awesome. So my first question for you is, where did the inspiration for this idea come from? And can you please introduce exactly what it is that you offer? So what I do is called Sunga Smokes. Uh, it is an herbal joint thing. It is not tobacco or weed. It's, I like to say it's an alternative to these things. I found it, um, obviously herbs and this practice of smoke herbs existed thousands of years ago in all of our indigenous cultures. Um, even in my own culture, um, coming from the Kikamba tribe of Kenya. But last two years ago, I was like, you know, the pandemic had started and I was, you know, puffing on other substances at the time. And um, I was like, I don't have anything available to me. But then I found out some herbs from my garden and I was like, yo, wait, 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 what is this weird purple little thingy that tastes like dirt and like is like, using my cooking, like I could inhale this. And when I actually tried out smoking herbs for the first time, I felt so lifted. Like I felt so, I was so connected to my body. I was so grounded. I was like, yeah, this is what I'm gonna be doing um, for the for the rest of the time. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I found it, um, was just by actually looking for an alternative and I found it right from my garden. Now, can you talk about herbs and what they do for you? So yeah, so actually, let me ask you a question, Maha. Do you use herbs when you cook? I be uh, whipping it up with the Thai chilies, rosemary, thyme. Okay. I, I like to cook with spices and flavor enhancing profiles, a little bit of powdered garlic as well. Word. So all those great things you just mentioned, they're not just for taste, they're also medicine for your body, especially rosemary. Um, Word. And and one of the the and one of the sunga smokes, uh, I originally created the blend using rosemary, and um, obviously it has a certain taste to it. It kind of has a bite to it and energy to it. But what it actually does for your body is good for your lungs um, medicinally. Whether you smoke it, whether you take it in tea, tincture, whatever way you use it, it's good for your lungs. Um, certain herbs can also help with your nervous system. Like they make you more calm and they activate your parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system to make you chill and relax and not anxious. That's why I use a lot of herbs too, um, for our mental illness issues I've had. Um, I've kind of used them in conjunction with things like therapy and all those other things that the medical system has to offer. But to add on top of that, I was like, I'm gonna actually heal my body with the power of these beautiful plants. 
plants are definitely super healing. I love plants. Do you love plants? Girl, I'm standing right next to plants right now. I love plants. Like, they're everywhere I go. I don't know if y'all can see it in the back. There we go. Right there. Right there. Sunga is standing next to a wall of plants right now for the audience tuning in. Yes, that is right very fitting. <laughs> love that. Yep. Now, Sunga, what are your thoughts on vaping and cigarettes? So my thoughts on that is, obviously, I've done that in the past, uh, being a young person growing up in America. It's what we're kind of, you know, they say, oh, there, don't do those things. But in reality, how the system is set up, it's kind of, it kind of makes you, you know, come to those things for whether enjoyment or the taboo of it or simply just like needing some sort of respite or some sort of stress relief from this crazy world that we live in. And um, going through that period and phase of my life, um, using it very heavily, um, yeah, it was like the thing I kind of held on to and always needed for that emotional security. But after like branching out and like starting this, this, this herb business and finding and using that more daily in my life, um, I've cut down very heavily on my usage of these things. And I've been able to help my friends also cut down on their usage of, of, of nicotine and whatnot. Um, and it's made me feel better. And I can sense like my, my own vibe, my own energy has been like more clear. My head has been clearer. I felt more like physical energy. I feel less stressed and less like pent up. Um, and yeah, I just feel better overall from switching from more nicotine products to herbs because yeah, like how that actually affects you is like, it, it gives you that, that sort of mental relief when, when you smoke tobacco nicotine, but then what it actually does to your body, um, inhaling, you know, a, a massive amount of toxins and, um, inhaling a massive amount of toxins and you know just making your like making your body feel on edge it actually is anti-healing you it's doing you the opposite of what you actually want so yeah being able to switch from, from that to herbs has helped me see help me see the truth yeah i'm so glad you said that and brought up what it is that nicotine does to the body because when i found you at an art event and you were selling these beautifully packaged joints in this beautiful yellow box, I was automatically interested. I automatically knew I had to discover more about exactly what you were selling and what you were doing. And it's true, exactly what you said about nicotine and the way it's manufactured and promoted in our society is that mm -hmm. it's kind of like something that we hold on to, like even just the physical vape is something we hold on to to give us a sense of like security, but we need that release. We need something that's actually healing for us. So when I found you and I smoked a botanical joint that you were selling, I found the release and emotional connection to just honestly, I realized that I just need something in my mouth that lights up. If as soon as I see that, I feel better right away so it's a, like it's like a psychological thing honestly and when i smoked the joints you were selling it was amazing because i felt better after i had finished smoking as opposed to feeling more anxious or jittery like when i do when i smoke a vape um so thank you for explaining your side of that it relates to me very well and why i'm trying to promote and discover alternatives that are healthy and safe so, Sangha, what's in your bag? What's in my bag? 
Yeah. Oh my God, my purse. Well, I can't show the crowd. I can't show anybody because that stays locked on me. If you see me in person, you get to know. But what's in my bag? Uh, we have, we have my my personal my personal favorite. We have amethyst. I keep an amethyst stone on me at all times. It it has a protective energy to it. Um, it helped me out through 2020 up until now. I have tiger's eye. Um, I also have a tiger's eye amulet, which is like very. Um, it correlates, you know, like lions, Leo, the sun energy, and it gives me like helps me out with my confidence and my like inner strength. I have that myself, but when I have these things on me, I just feel like that extra extra boost. Um, I also have uh, my favorite um, package, my tummy soothers. I have this little like case where I keep uh, all of my herbs in. So like when I go traveling, right right now I got Uva Ursi, um, Damiana, and um, I think a little bit of rose petals. Um, I'm carrying with me just so if I want to light up, I got my herbs on me everywhere. Um, so I have that on me. Also got my headphones, my phone, my wallet. Also my pick, my Afro pick, because, you know, I got to stay fresh out here in these streets. Can't be caught slipping. Um, I also have uh, two dice, uh, like a black dice and a, a white die. And um, it kind of correlates to, like, the duality of life and how I feel about it. Also a tattoo I have of dice. Um, I also have, what else I got in this bag? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much all my essentials right there. Oh, and a speaker. Cause I don't care. I'm playing my music everywhere. You know what I'm saying? That's I know what, I what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Sangha, if you woke up as a plant, what plant would you be and why? You know this answer. I'm going to be a tree. Why? Because trees are wise. They're old. They have the potential to grow and trees are actually like mothers of, of plants like a, a big tree on the side of your road has probably spread their seeds and planted all the little trees around it and that tree communicates with their own like like neural pathways to the other trees yeah, so that yeah, the I big tree can like, yeah through the mycelium network under the trees so that uh -huh. they can send nutrients and like warnings or whatever just so like yeah it just feels more so like what i do in life anyways so i was like yeah if i had to be a plant i'm gonna be a tree what about you good question i resonate most with blue lotus of the nile mm. um, it is an egyptian originated plant it represents femininity wisdom rebirth death and honestly all of those themes i feel like I personally resonate with. Also, it is incredibly rare and beautiful, and I definitely adopt that belief upon myself. So, as you should, as, as you should, absolutely, Ashe. Can you go into your morning and night routine? Uh, so this morning, actually, because I'm traveling right now, this morning routine has been thrown off. But um, one of the things I always do in the morning, I wake up, I. Uh, go outside and I try to get some sunlight if there's sunlight in my eye um just so my body knows it's time to be up I also do push-ups or any sort of exercise but I like to do push-ups mostly um and I try to like increase it like by a number every week um and I also meditate I I pray I give thanks to all the forces of life and the sun and the trees that give us life and my mom for birthing me my ancestors, my chosen family, and just life itself. And being able to do what I get to do every day, which isn't what a lot of people do every day, or even what I imagine myself doing every day, like when I was a kid. So 
yeah, it's just like getting my body up and awake and just being grateful. And then, yeah, I'm ready to start my day. What about you? So I am going to get into what I do. But one thing that I remember that you told me that I wanted you to reiterate for me and the audience is what tribes do you give thanks and gratitude to that are native to the area, specifically like Raleigh, North Carolina? That Word, area. So, so yeah, um, some of my homies are, uh, have native indigenous ancestry here. So I like got to learn from them. Um, but also like this can be found on the internet, you know, they got like all this information there too. I usually say thank you to the ancestors of the Eno nation, the Lumbi nation, the Okanichi Saponi, um, and also the Tuscarora. Um, and I just say thank you for being stewards of the land, past, present, and future. And yeah, just being able to recognize that, you know, this is their land and we're here. I just feel, I don't know. I just feel better. It just makes it just makes like me feel more aligned and in tune with the land that I'm on. That was one of the most beautiful things that you said to me that I took away from you when we met. And thank you so much for sharing. Um, for my morning routine, I first thing I do, I wake up. Okay, and then as soon as I wake up, I'm a little shook. Um, in a good way, but in a way that's like, okay, we're we're conscious now. What are we doing? So after I get up from my bed, I look at my board and my board has some activities on it. So what I do is I center myself. I think of an intention, something that I need for that day. And I do this for morning and night. And I try and just figure out what my body, my soul, my mind, my heart need at the time and my physical body as well. And I kind of incorporate a changing dynamic routine every day. So for example, sometimes I'll do shadow work. I will do crystal healing. I'll talk to my plants. I'll talk to my birds. I'll talk to my cats. I will look in the mirror and make faces. I will say thanks and gratitude. Those are two of my favorites and consistent. And honestly, I love botanicals just like you. So I also use essential oils and I just like to douse myself in them uh, as much as possible. And I, I like to start with my wrists, put them up on my temples and above my eyebrow on my third eye. And they help me to relax and kind of gather myself and what I need for the rest of the day. I do this in the morning and I do that at night as needed too. Mm, that's great, that's amazing. Thank you, yeah, of course. Well, Sangha, thank you so much for speaking with me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. This is Maha signing off. What's up, everyone? This is Maha and Shango with Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1, airing every Sunday, 6 to 7 p.m. We are here with Eugene Merman, who is on his comedy tour called I Am Late for My Meeting in the Lake. Hey, Eugene, how's it going and how's tour life? Are you well adjusted? Did you drink enough water? Uh, yes, I've stayed very hydrated. Um, yes, I think I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> reasonably adjusted. This, when I'm in uh, Carborough, it'll, have, it'll be the first day of the sort of second leg of, of my tour. Let's just hop into the question. So 
My first question for you is, I have heard that Bob's Burgers was originally supposed to be about a family of cannibals. And I just want to know, how did you feel about that? And can you imagine your character now as a cannibal? Um, look, anything can be imagined. Um, you know, I can imagine my character with a long, long tail. Do I think it would be as good? Probably not. Um, I think, yes. I think originally it was sort of conceived in that way. And then I think... Fox, it's a void asked Lauren, who created the show, like, do you really want to write about cannibals every week? And I think he was like, oh, not really. Um, so I think it was like limited in a way that is totally unnecessary, since uh, a workplace and family comedy is perfectly enough. Awesome. Interesting. Good to know. Thank you. Eugene, my question to you is, comedy has been explored as an art, a passion, and used as an emotional coping mechanism for some. So what is the role of comedy in your life? I mean, I think it's it's all those things, you know. Um, comedy is both the way I sort of relate and connect with people, um, both in person and on stage. And it's definitely a way that I've coped through tragedies as well as, you know, sort of connected with people and uh, and also made fun of things that, like, bother me in life. I saw there's, like, a bunch of burgers. There's a recipe book. Have you tried any of the burgers from Bob's Burgers? You know, I have, because I think at some point we did a show. Uh, we, we've toured a little bit as the cast doing sort of some stand-up and, and uh, readings of, of scripts. And um, one of the cities we were in, possibly Philadelphia, I think they made us several of the burgers from the book. So they made like little sliders of those. So I think I got to try a bunch and they were pretty good. Uh, do you remember which one it was that you really liked? I, I think it was like five to eight of them. So I, Oh, I wow. So yeah. you recommend them? It was like little sliders of different of different recipes. Okay, I'll have to try it out sometime. Yeah. So you've graduated with a degree in comedy and completed a one-hour stand-up routine for your thesis. So in light of this incredible achievement, congratulations, by the way, <laughs> can you. you tell me your favorite knock-knock joke? <laughs> I don't know. I think a long time ago I had a knock-knock joke, which do it, do uh, it. was something like knock-knock. Who's, Who's there? there? Doctor. Doctor who? who? That's right. <laughs> that's great that's great i can't believe i have an answer to that but i'm very glad i do i mean it makes great content so. thank you yes i agree mm -hmm. something i've wondered is your name is eugene and then your character's name is gene was that like a happy coincidence or it was intentional it was Meaning lauren who created the show i think that like my character is sort of looks like I might have as a child and the character is named after me. Do you have any Lauren childhood? Cast all of us and then developed the show with us, you know, going in to record lines as written and then improvised and sort of working together over you know, really two years as we then made it into like an eight minute demo that eventually became a pilot. Like a family. Yeah, like a family. I think that it was very important for Lauren to actually cast people who already had a camaraderie um, and we record, you know, even now, you know, with, with what just one year of the pandemic aside, we actually record on a line all together. So most cartoons, you kind of do the voice alone or with like a director. But our show, we actually record all together, hearing each other and playing off each other. And it, it makes it very fun. 
So you've starred in Bob's Burgers as well as it started as a joke, Apple and Onion, and featured in Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson, just to name a few things that you've done. So yeah. my question to you is, when you leave a television show, does that character embed into your personality or do you detach from them after you finish filming? I, I think it, you know, detaches. I don't know that I, that like my character from Delocated who was a Russian stand-up comedian slash mobster is like a <laughs> part of my life or, you know, that I have any real landlord qualities <laughs> that, right. that I did on Flight of the Concords. Um, I mean, in a certain sense, the closest is kind of Gene in sort of a silliness um, that, that that might mimic how I would have been but wasn't exactly as a child. Um, but, no, I'm not. Like, it's not like I am some sort of method actor who, who like on set will act uh, like an 11 year old and then I can't break free, uh, for <laughs> you know, so. Okay. So it's, it's, it's like a coat almost like you put it on and you take it off. Sure. But I think that it would be unfair to describe myself as having even like uh, that level of, um, in, in intensity as like in in her in terms of acting but, but oh sure. okay uh, okay like it's like a fall jacket okay that uh that, that you could even accidentally forget at a restaurant oh that's very casual i love that well, i could hang out I with mean, a jacket but, but like I often, that but i but i think part part of it is because i often play versions of just me you know like i think it's you know i'm I, a lot of the things i play are essentially titled Eugene um, or look like me. And I think it's because there's like, it's like an aspect of my, of my demeanor. Um, so it is, it's, it's more that I'm like pretending different feelings. Um, and when I act more than like, you know, uh, embodying a, 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 a transformed like boxer or something like Christian Bale. Okay, you said that Gene looks like you when you were a kid. Is there anywhere I can find a childhood photo of you? Um, not that young. No, Gene sort of looks like what I might now as a kid. Oh, I understand. Exactly, like, <laughs> meaning I was actually very scrawny as a kid, and, and Gene is, is more like what I look like a little now, but imagined sort of as a child, I would say. <laughs> what kinds of memes do you look at in your free time? I don't know. Um, I think things that come across, but certainly there's a lot of um, international foods that come across my, like, Instagram feed. So I don't know how many, like, memes specifically I, I look at as much as images of things being cooked in streets. Have you seen any memes about yourself? No, I don't, I don't think so, but I'm not saying there aren't any. I totally probably could find some. I have a meme page. Yes, then I'm sure you could. Uh, I just, I think it's just not uh, something I'm as aware of, though um, there could easily be some sort of meme. Can you tell us more about the street food that you see on your pages? Um, I don't know. I think it's uh, just different things being cooked in a variety of ways that I'm like, oh, what is this? Oh, I see. <laughs> I guess no. Um, varieties of meats and vegetables and, and whatnots and oils being poured and, and who knows. Interesting. Interesting. I was trying to see if you cook. That was my intention of asking you oh, the question, I, I, but I don't know if would, you do. You yes, I, I do. I do. Cook. Oh, I just don't do it in the street. Oh, great. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, my Instagram feed is full of things I've made, along with the other random stuff. That's wonderful. That's great. I I would love to check that out. So is there a side to your creative writing besides comedy? Like, do you have other contents or mediums that you've experimented with? Um, I think they're all comedy related, meaning like I'm now working on you know, with friends, because I don't really do any music myself, but I'm working on songs, you know, the lyric side of of songs, um, Christmas songs uh, with some friends. And, you know, so so I, and, and my last album had a, a variety of, of different sort of like comedy things and there's different writing, but it's not, um, but it's still comedy. So I don't know, I don't have like a, you know, like a, a dramatic play I've written. Um, so, but I think I have like a variety of things I've written that are all comedy related. So you're a comedian. What makes you funny? Um, I mean, I, I'm assuming the jokes and stories I tell and the reaction from audiences to them. But it's not like uh, something where like, uh, m- like my foot hurts and that gives me <laughs> something. I don't really know the answer or like... Uh, um, I'm not colorblind, but if I was, I don't know if that would make me. So so I think um, the answer is I don't know. I like it. I think you're really casual and funny, like five or ten notches above dad humor. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. It's true. I guess I'm a dad now. Really? Wait, are you? I am. I'm. I'm. A, yeah. Yes, I have a son who's six years old. Did you start making those kinds of jokes when you had a son? Uh, I don't know. What, well, I'm not sure. Well, I think you asked me what made me funny, right? Is that the question? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were so, trying to crack so, a formula. It's more like I don't think it's a specific thing. Uh, so so it's more that uh, I don't I don't if that's I don't think that my answer was enough of a joke. But is that what a dad joke is? Is a dad joke like a vague answer to uh, an unanswerable question? That's a good question. Chingo, what's a really good example of a dad joke? Literally any joke my dad makes. He's like <laughs> not that funny. Um, but it's like funny because he is a dad. So it's like you laugh along. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's... I mean, I'm inherently a dad. So I guess anything I uh, say baby makes it a dad joke. But but I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's good. I don't really associate you with that. And now I just keep seeing you as a coat. Um, That's just because of like one of the previous questions I asked. Yes. And that's me describing an acting style. Yes. I think that you were sort of like, can you not put down the personas you adopt for acting? Exactly. Daniel Day-Lewis. And I'm like, that is kind of you to ask, but inaccurate of my study. Yes, of course. Like, I just didn't go to Juilliard. Did you eat anything weird as a child? Um, not, I mean, to me, no. Like, I think, like, tongue, but I don't think that it was odd as to me as a child. So I think, like, the things that seem potentially odd to other people don't to you, especially as a child, where you're like, all I have is my experience. I had tongue. Um, It's pretty chewy. Sure. Yeah, so, so it's like... Um, but, but so I wouldn't be able to answer it. Cause I think specifically if you're like nine and your only experience is this specific thing that it's like, I don't know, this seems normal. And then when you leave your house, other people are like, Oh, I'm from a different culture. So that's not common for me. So you never ate like rocks or dirt or anything. Oh no, but that's not food. Well, that's what <laughs> I was leaning towards because like, I also am from a different culture. Um, like I was sure. born in, I was born in Romania. Um, okay. 
and what did you eat? Well, I so ate, you ate rocks. I ate gravel in my pudding sometimes, but like nobody told me that was wrong. And it's not a cultural thing. That was just me wanting something um, crunchy, crunchy in my pudding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you should have put in food. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know about that. that like, too, like uh, you can't eat that. I mean, you can. Like it's. Small I enough, did. I guess. It was sure. How often it's an acquired taste. Um, I just used to eat pudding outside, and gravel was the closest thing to me. So, like, I guess only a few times. I'm fine right now. Nothing bad happened. Do you sure. like granola in your pudding now? No, yeah. I just eat pudding plain now. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I imagine the crunch reminds you of gravel. So, no, I didn't eat anything. Yeah, that's really. It's funny because your question really makes sense from the point of view of you used to eat gravel. <laughs> like, I get why you would ask that because you could be like. Did you, you could have also said, did you ever eat gravel? And I would be like, no. Did you eat anything similar to gravel? Uh, no, I would say I never ate anything similar to gravel other than, like, say, like granola or something. Exactly. I never ate a thing that's, like, not food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Not odd. Like, uh, yeah, I... I love, I do love the idea of a leading question, the answer of which would be like, dirt, the thing I grew up eating was dirt, yeah. One, have you ever done a cartwheel? And two, what have you been thinking about before you did this interview? Um, I have done a cartwheel, probably not in a while, but, but, but maybe like seven to nine years ago um, and, and before. And I, I don't know. How was know. it? I was thinking before, how was the cartwheel? How I was think it? it how, was, what was, where were you feeling? Was your heart racing? I think it was just more like, hey, I can still do a cartwheel. I, I forget my location. I'm just guessing. Uh, and I don't know. I, I uh, did another interview uh, right before this. So I was thinking about a variety of questions. Thank you, Eugene, so yeah. much for doing this interview with us. We really appreciate you being on. This is Changa and Maha signing off. Thanks, everyone. Tune in next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you. Great. Have a great day. Uh, maybe you'll try some gravel sometime soon. I, I look forward to it. If you enjoy the comedy stylings of Eugene Merman, you can find more information about his tour, I'm Late for My Meeting in the Lake, on catscradle.com slash events slash Eugene Merman. Eugene Merman will be performing Wednesday, November 9th at Cat's Cradle. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. Well, that is all for today's episode of Eye on the Triangle. I want to thank Eugene Merman, Sunga, and Kennedy Phipps for being on today's show. And I also want to thank Shenga and Maha for their interviewing efforts. I hope everyone has a lovely rest of their week. Music for today's episode has been To Pillow Honey by Chris Hogan, licensed under the YouTube Audio Library.